Have you ever wondered where all those gloves that lost their mate end up? They might have ended up at OXO's headquarters. Karen Schnellwar heads up branding for OXO, and her favorite part of the office is the wall of gloves. I've never counted, but there's probably a couple of hundred up there, each with their own story to tell individually. But when you step back together and they're actually pinned up to the wall so beautifully, it almost feels like an art piece. It's still this visually beautiful statement that just reminds us of our origins and more importantly, of all of the hands out there that we continue to create tools to help and inspire and delight and make life a little bit easier. For 30 years, OXO has created better kitchen tools for for all hands. Learn more at oxo.com. That's oxo.com. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Bridget Lancaster here, and we're working on season five of Proof. But for now, we're back with another bonus episode. Last season, we ran a story about sourdough specifically about a team of people who baked bread with ancient Egyptian yeast. And remarkably, this was in the works all before we were all stuck at home and before we started baking lots and lots of bread, including sourdough, of course. So today, we've decided to bring in our friend Andrew Janjigian, and he's our resident sourdough expert. I'm going to call him a guru at America's Test Kitchen. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Bridget. Are you elbows deep in sourdough right now? Um, not elbows deep. I've got a couple of loaves going in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much every day. And it, once the loaf on the counter starts to get about halfway down, it's time to start another set. So let's talk a little bit about sourdough. Um, how about if you take us through what exactly sourdough is? Okay. So sourdough is also known as a naturally fermented bread meaning it's fermented not using commercial yeast, but instead a mixture of wild yeast and bacteria that are um, found naturally on a grain of wheat or rye in the field. So the way you create a sourdough starter from scratch, as opposed to getting one from a friend, is that you just mix flour and water together and wait. The organisms that go into a sourdough starter Yeasts and bacteria are naturally present on kernels of wheat and on the flour made from them. And you can simply mix the flour with some water and get them to wake up. The problem is that they're not there in sufficient quantities to bake bread right away. So you have to sort of encourage them to increase in numbers over time. And the way you do that is by taking the nascent culture that you created and moving it to fresh flour and water on a periodic basis. So once a day, twice a day, eventually you'll get them in the numbers that you want to leaven bread. It is an kind of a, an outward-looking bread. You're not just baking bread from a recipe. You're learning about, really, about the original bread and how yeah. bread was made before the advent of commercial yeast, and, and also you're taking care of something. I think that's that's the thing that appeals to a lot of people. Sourdough starter can sort of turn into a pet almost, yeah. where you have to feed it, you have to watch it. Absolutely. I call it microbial husbandry. It's, <laughs> it's taking you outside of yourself, and to, you're forced to think about 
the lifestyle of something other than a human being. You know, we have a dog or a cat. We're used to that kind of thing. Well, this is what mm-hmm. the cat wants, or this is what the dog wants. And this is a, it's a set of organisms, but it's the same thing. It like it has its own concerns, its own ideal conditions, and uh, you have to adjust to those. And until you do, you're going to be frustrated by it. But when you do, you'll be able to bake great bread and it will forever be your friend. And I think that's what's amazing, too, is one person's sourdough is going to taste different from another person's sourdough, even if they think that they're starting off with the exact same ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because environment and other things come into play as part of the recipe. Yeah. It's not just one yeast and one bacteria. It's actually a collection of each, and every starter has a different mix of them. A little bit like a cocktail. Yes. Yeah. So you came up with something in response to the fact that during the lockdown, the quarantine, COVID, a lot of people were going to the store and not able to find yeast, not able to find flour. And they were worried about making sourdough because traditionally, quite a bit of flour is used to get the process started. And you came up with something with this whole new world in mind. Yeah, it, so a typical sourdough starter uh, creation process might go through a couple of pounds of flour, and my own recipe for Cook's Illustrated included. And so at the beginning of the uh, the you know COVID lockdown, during a, a Cook's Illustrated staff meeting over Zoom, we were talking about how one of my colleagues was having a hard time finding yeast for her oatmeal rolls recipe that she was developing. And she also mentioned that she was having a hard time finding flour. And I kind of jokingly remarked that, oh, maybe this would be a good time to start a sourdough starter. And then I thought, well, if you can't find flour, then that would be an issue. So what if you tried making it with just tiny amounts of flour, which is when the whole idea of a tiny starter, or as I dubbed it, the quarantiny starter, came about. And I started one that day just kind of as a joke. And... It showed activity within a day, like often they do. And so I shared it to the team the next day and shared it to my Instagram account. And Cook's Illustrated social team shared it, and it quickly took off from there. So um, you've recapped a bit of the basics of making traditional sourdough. And this one it goes about in a similar method of starting, but mm-hmm. just with smaller amounts? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so each day you're just putting um, 10 grams or so of flour and water in a container and moving a little bit of the previous batch to that one. And were you surprised by how this took off? I mean, it was everywhere. It was on social media. It was on, of course, our websites, everywhere. Yeah, I was surprised. And to be perfectly honest, though, I baked with sourdough for... 10 years. I don't consider myself an expert on sourdough culture creation. I've only had to do it once or twice before. So a lot of what we were sort of working out as a community was happening together. And I was learning as much from them as they from me. Um, I've learned a whole lot just by helping shepherd all these people through the process. And the idea of it, just like conserving flour and getting yourself something to leaven bread without having to find yeast, appealed to everybody. It sort of makes sense that it would. It's a kind of an activity that I think has given people a lot of welcome distraction from everything else going on right now. It's of a different pace, and it helps people slow down and focus on something outside of themselves. 
So Andrew, I know that you're not just interested in making sourdough, learning more about it. You've really set yourself up and you're being used by a lot of people as a great resource. Um, You're this one-stop shopping for knowledge, maybe advice, guidance, what to do, what not to do. But I'm wondering if there are questions that people keep asking you, if there are a set of, I don't know, frequently asked questions on sourdough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are a lot of questions, and I am I'm still fielding a lot of them. But um, the, I would say the number one question was, it's not doing anything. What did I do wrong? And the reason people think that something has gone wrong is because the first thing they observe after about a day of the flour and water sitting together is that it gets bubbly and active and it can smell quite pungent, often unpleasantly so. And so they think, I did it. I succeeded in my first try making a sourdough starter. And then two days later, it just smells like flour and water and there's no bubbles and no nothing. And they think they've failed. And that's because the first organisms to wake up and to kind of populate the starter are not the ones you want in the end. They're these sort of ones that kind of muscle their way in the beginning and eventually they die off. And so there's this transition period between that and when the yeast and bacteria you want come back. And that can take quite a while. And so inevitably somebody will say, my starter is not doing anything. And I'll say, well, where, how long have you been working on it? And, and nine times out of 10, I'll be like, well, it's been four days or it's been seven days. And I'll say, okay, just keep at it. I think I've typed just keep at it more times than anything else in the last two months. Perseverance is the biggest ingredient here. So, Andrew, you and I have had some discussion on the best type of flour to use because we talked a little bit about how a lot of people might have all-purpose flour on hand, and that might not be the best thing to use when starting sourdough. Is that right? That's right, yes. So what I forgot to mention earlier was that not only was it hard to find flour if we could find flour at the beginning of the stay-at-home period, um, we didn't necessarily have a choice as to what kind it was. So I just encouraged people to use whatever they could find. And that was something of an experiment. I didn't know that it could be done with any old flour. I knew it could work with certain flours, but I wasn't sure how it would play out when people were limited to just one flour and whatever it was. Normally, what I recommend is people use at least a 50-50 mix of some kind of good white flour, like all-purpose, and a whole grain flour like rye or whole wheat. And the reason for the whole grain flour is simply, as I said before, the organisms we want are on the kernel of grain. And so if you have the entire kernel of the grain, you have more possibility of capturing the organism you want. So uh, a refined flour is just going to have less of the yeast and bacteria are trying to capture. So as it turns out, you can do it with just one type of flour and without having those, but not everyone had success when they were stuck with white flour. And particularly those few people that all they could find was bleached flour, those ones never got anywhere. As far as I know, nobody was successful with bleached flour, which kind of makes sense. Bleach is pretty toxic and it's gonna kill what's on the flour to begin with. So. Um, Right. It's pretty much advertised to kill exactly what we want to grow. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) Yeah. And so for that reason, I also say organic flour is best and filtered water. You want 
to like encourage these organisms to grow and to and to be present in the first place. And so, in an ideal world, it would be organic, whole grain, and clean water. And you know, at some point, people who started out with one flower were able to switch, and then that made things get better. So it's not like if you started out with bleach flower or some other bad flower in the beginning, that was it. You had to start over from scratch. In fact, just simply switching flowers or adding whole grain flowers later on was fine. I love it. It's like starter training. Yeah. Yeah, you do need to train it. Like people <laughs> started out with one type of flower or a mix of flowers, and there's been issues where people have a hard time weaning their starter off of rye flower or wheat flower. That As soon as they get rid of it entirely, it just kind of dies back. And I haven't figured that part out yet, if it's just a question of doing it so gradually or if there's something else going on. Well, in that vein, I have a, another question for you. Have you ever hired a sourdough starter babysitter for when you were away? <laughs> no, I haven't. The good news is that once you get a sourdough starter, you can store it in the fridge for a really long time without having to worry about it. If you want to use it, you're probably going to take it out of the fridge once a week and refresh it. But it will keep for at least a couple of months in the fridge without uh, any maintenance at all. I do have friends who are pretty particular about their sourdoughs and who like to keep them at room temperature, and they take them with them on vacations. And I've you know, heard stories of them mixing them on their hotel room bathroom counter and things like that. So fortunately, I don't think that's necessary, but some people have a different relationship. Try explaining that to the TSA. <laughs> no, that's actually, the TSA is an issue. People have had theirs taken away by the TSA more than once. And sourdough could be, for even a novice cook, sourdough can be, you, we were talking about how it's quite a forgiving medium in the bread world. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people, most people don't realize that. I think it seems intimidating, but actually there's a lot of reasons why sourdough bread baking becomes easier. It's admittedly, it has a slower pace. And so that if, if you're, you know, looking for instant gratification, sourdough is not your thing. Now, almost none of that is actual work time. It's just simply waiting for things to happen. So the dough is on the counter or it's in the fridge. And, you know, you don't have to babysit it necessarily the way you do some other breads that maybe are done in three hours or six hours. But you've got to be there at, at every stage along the way. It's just more flexible. But... A sourdough is not necessarily going to to make me, you know, ha have to hustle as much. No, absolutely not. In fact, if anything, it's going to ask you to slow down, which that shouldn't be a problem these days, especially since we're stuck at home. But also, <laughs> we could all stand to slow down no matter what. We could stand to slow down. And I love that this was all, in a way, it was in the same fabric as the test kitchen. Um, yeah. You had all these little micro testings going on in different people's homes and different environments. So you could kind of keep track of what was working and what wasn't. Yeah, it's it's great to have, you know, at this point, I don't know how many of the 10,000 additional Instagram followers I got Jeez. during this process are actually participating. But it's at least a couple thousand people who started it out. I know for a fact that a lot of people started it and didn't get anywhere or just, you know, they got distracted by something, but definitely at least a couple thousand. I mean, the list of names I have, because people named their starters fairly quickly. There's Clint Yeastwood, the Yeasty Boys. There were quite a few um, relating to um, the tiger business around the same. So Doe Exotic was an early one. 
uh, <laughs> Tiny Dancer, Tiny Bubbles, Bread Astaire, uh, Otis Spreading, Adam Levine. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Quentin Quarantino and Patient Zero, one of my favorites. Yeah, if people want to join in, they can find me at um, at Wordloaf on Instagram and on Twitter as well. But Instagram is the place and they'll be able to join the whole crew of people already involved in this. The sourdough movement. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you, Andrew, for your sage and your sourdough guru wisdom. You will always be our guru. (laughs) (laughs) And you can check out more about Andrew's quarantine starter journey on cooksillustrated.com. Go check him out. Thanks for listening today to our bonus episode and be sure to tune in next week.